Southern Soul Livestream is a weekly talk show and music hangout where the hosts learn your name and just might remind you of a favorite relative. We spotlight fascinating people, discuss current events, and pay special attention to lifting up generations. So if you want to know more, learn more, be more, or just be, Southern Soul Livestream is the place for you. Join us every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Just log on, kick back, and experience the eclectic vibe. Check us out at soullivestream.com. There's so much going on, but I just want to start by reading a summary of the show. And then we'll go to the panel and we'll get them to introduce themselves. Justice is a system that is supposed to protect all people. Yet historically, it has not always served all citizens very well. African Americans have been affected by the justice system through slavery, segregation, mass incarnation, incarceration. The recent racial tensions over the shootings and various other things have caused all kinds of social conflict. It is this backdrop that we're here today to talk about the state of justice in 2022. We're going to start with, how about Miss Anissa Patton? Tell me, Miss Anissa, you logged on early tonight and we got a chance to chop it up. Tell us about you, your education, what kind of law you practice. Tell us something about yourself. Okay, so good evening, everybody. My name is Anissa Patton and I am an attorney. I'm actually a supervising attorney with the Fulton County Office of the Child Attorney. I, and I'm what you call a child welfare law specialist. Um, I graduated from Davidson College back in 1991. Go Cats! And um, I graduated from Cleveland Marshall College of Law in 2001, um, sat for the bar in Ohio, and I uh, practiced a little bit in Ohio and then moved to Georgia. Um, my career background is a little bit of a mosaic. I started off as a teacher with Teach for America and then decided I wanted to go to law school. You know, I saw how things were. And here's a fun fact. I started teaching in Compton, California. So, you know, I'm one of the real ones. Right. So um, I, I left teaching, went to law school. Um, my first job out of law school um, after I worked with this um, employment agency, my first real job out of law school was as a prosecutor. Um, and that was an interesting, interesting position. And I did that for about four years. And then I became a public defender, which was also an interesting position. And in 2006, I landed um, as a child advocate attorney with my current position now. Um, so I practice in this field called child welfare law. It's a, an intricate, like a specialist area. Um, what, what we do is we represent the legal interests of children or parents, because there's some child welfare practitioners that represent parents. There are some child welfare pra practitioners that represent the state agency. And then there's some people like me who represent the interests of children. Child welfare deals with children and families who are involved with the child protective services in that state. Here in the state of Georgia, we call our child protection service um, the Department of Family and Children's Services. So the majority of my clients, because I represent children, um, are, are babies either um, from newborn up until the age of their early 20s. My children usually have some type of family involvement with the child welfare um, system. Either they're in foster care 
or they have social services involved with their family to try to maintain the family. Um, I do. My office does not do guardian at litem work. So I, if I can get this in, the difference between what I do and what guardians at litem do. Guardians at litem um, represent the, the best interests of children. So they're the ones that will go to court and you know tell the judge and everyone else present, this is what is best for this child. What we do is we represent their actual legal interests. And so the child client is a client of mine. And we file petitions on behalf of children. We file appeals on behalf of children. Um, you know, we run the whole gamut. Um, I often represent children in um, disciplinary hearings at school. You know, we do those types of things. But from my office, we, we do something called client-directed representation. And so we treat children as if they're any other client, you know. And that, that's a little bit about me. Awesome. Thank you for breaking it down. For those of us who do not know, I am informed tonight. Um, we just shared in the chat um, where you guys can connect with Attorney Anissa Patton. So next up, Attorney Jacqueline Lopardo. What's up, Soror? What's up? What's up, Frat? Good to see you. Thanks for having me on tonight. <laughs> so a little bit about myself. I'm Jacqueline Lopardo, born and raised in Staten Island, New York, otherwise known as Shaolin, thanks to the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, I, you know, I grew up a New York City public school kid, so proud of that. Had the opportunity to go to Vanderbilt University, where I had a, a, an opportunity to meet and go to school with some of these lovely panelists and the host tonight. So we share very special years together, some of the best years of our lives. Um, graduated there um, 1996. Before I left, I became Miss Vanderbilt. I was um, the second black homecoming queen um, at Vanderbilt ever. And um, afterwards, came back home to New York, worked for a few years, and then I went to the Benjamin M. Cardozo School of Law here in New York, which is a school of, um, it's a law school that is um, heavily emphasized in entertainment law. Um, growing up, I grew up in an entertainment family. Uh, my mother was an operatically trained singer. My father was a jazz percussionist. My sisters and I all sing, and I started to pursue that when I was in high school, but I didn't really want to be in the spotlight, but I knew I wanted to be in entertainment. So I always knew, okay, well, how can I still be in the, the realm of that world, but not be like in the studios and in front of a mic? And I said, okay, well, I'll be behind the scenes and I'll close the deals. So my interest in law was always entertainment. Um, and I've had the opportunity um, over these last almost 20 years to be in entertainment law in various capacities. I've done you know, music um, is where I really started. Uh, I do represent, um, I mean, I have represented the whole of the Wu-Tang Clan at one point. And now currently um, I represent RZA, um, his brother, his business partner, Divine. Um, and so I've had a lot of opportunity to work with them in amazing ways. I represent a lot of up and coming independent music artists, as well as a lot of film and TV producers, um, directors, screenwriters. Um, I've had a little bit of, you know, um, time in the literary world. And I was blessed to be able to be vice president and general counsel of the longest standing African-American advertising firm in the US um, Uniworld Group. And during that time, um, I was able to do a lot of work um, 
And that's where, well, I was able to do a lot of work um, on behalf of um, the multicultural marketing um, industry with big brands like Ford, Lincoln, Home Depot, Colgate, things of that nature. So all across the spectrum of the industries that I've been blessed to be a part of, um, I'm not just focusing in on the legal needs, but also looking at equity in what the brands can bring to you know, people of color, artists, clients of color, as well as the communities. So a lot of um, what I do is making sure that as we're pushing forward, you know, legally and meeting the legal needs of the clients, that if it's, you know, the big brands or, you know, if it's my clients looking for deals and things of that nature, making sure that, you know, there's a level playing field where we need to be pushed up, where we haven't been represented. I'm pushing for us to be represented in those, you know, larger spaces, getting the money across the board the same way that, you know, white folks have gotten paid, black artists should still get paid the same. And, you know, making sure that these big brands put monies into community initiatives. So that's just a little bit about me. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be on Southern Soul. The music is fly so far and I'm just here. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Jackie. Looking forward to learning about the many dynamics in entertainment and equity law. Next up, my brother, Kevin Jones, attorney Kevin Jones. Do you mind telling us about you? Sure, sure. Thanks for having me. Um, I am attorney Kevin Jones. I am a 1997 Vanderbilt graduate. Um, I'm also a, a 2000 uh, Teach for America Corps member as well. So I have a little connection with this as well. Um, but I practice law here in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, I have a solo pra practice here where I focus on family law, child custody cases, divorces, things of that nature. But a large part of my practice is criminal defense work. Um, and prior to starting my own practice, and my another connection with Attorney Patton is I worked in the public defender's office in Durham. I worked in the public defender's office in Durham for three and a half years before I started my own practice. I attended uh, North Carolina Central University School of Law. Um, I'm a legal eagle, is what we call ourselves. Um, and so my practice and my career has always been about service, service to the community. Um, prior, to, um, prior to going to law school, I was a teacher. I taught fifth grade in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina for three and a half years before I stepped into the legal world. So I went from the classroom to the courtroom, so to speak. A lot of those same lessons I learned in the classroom, I brought them to my, my experience in the courtroom because it's all about meeting my clients at the point of their need. And it's the same thing with uh, the children in the classroom. In order to help them reach the goals that they're trying to meet, you have to meet them where they are. And that's the same way that I focus on my practice. So um, that's a little bit about myself. Um, I'm anxious and excited about getting into the topics for tonight. Um, and thanks for having me, Calvin. I look forward to it. Awesome. Awesome. And attorney Kelly Webb, welcome. Welcome for being here. If you don't mind telling us about you, your background and what you do. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, so as you said, my name is Kelly Webb. I am a native of Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, I also am, am among the wonderful uh, alums of Vanderbilt University, class of 2003. Mm -hmm. Shout out 03, anybody who's watching. Um, and I moved to St. Louis and attended St. Louis University School of Law, where I graduated in 2007. 
I began my career in litigation. Um, I, I had a, I guess, a stint at about three big, big law firms here in St. Louis. Um, so the first two law firms that I worked in after I graduated from law school were okay, but it was not the area of law that I was really passionate about. And so I actually left the field of litigation and worked as an attorney advisor for the Social Security Administration. I did that for about eight years. Um, and, you know, it was great. It was, a, it was a good run, but I really decided that I wanted to go back into litigation. That's my passion. Um, my passion is, you know, having contact with people. Client contact was something that I really missed uh, working with uh, Social Security. So I left and um, decided to start my own law firm, the Web Law Group. Um, I started my law firm in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I started my law firm February 20th of 2020. So uh, just celebrated my second year um, as being a solo practitioner. And, you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I think it was one of the it was one of the scariest, but one of the best decisions that I've made. Um, and, you know, I'm very grateful for this opportunity, Calvin, and, and my esteemed uh, colleagues and panelists. Um, I have a passion for social justice, and I, I'm fortunate that I have been able to utilize um, my career in law and my platform and being involved in the community here in St. Louis. Um, I've been a featured uh, pa panelist and legal analyst for different broadcasts. Um, I did a, a special on the Texas Heartbeat abortion law as SB8. Um, I did a, a program with Mom Space. Um, and other, I've done some other um, shows with some other um, groups who, you know, just want to get get information out there um, for Black attorneys, women, you know, women lawyers. Um, and I've also uh, been a guest speaker with the Association of Black Psychologists here in St. Louis. I did a program on um, knowing your rights, um, which I think is something that's very pivotal um, in our community, especially now. Um, is making people aware of, you know, what their civil rights are and, and how to avoid having the, uh, their civil rights being violated. Um, and so basically, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm happy. Also, I am the host of Legal Saturdays with Kelly. So at least once a month, um, I try to get on and pick a topic and I discuss, um, you know, a, a lot of different aspects of the legal uh, community. I talk about um like I said, voting rights, civil rights. I did a special mm -hmm. on SBA explaining what the abortion law was. I also have done, um, I, I did a, a, a couple of uh, legal Saturdays about the George Floyd trial. I, you know, tried to explain what was going on because a lot of people were contacting me kind of confused as to what was going on in the trial. So I did mm -hmm. kind of like a mini uh, civil procedure or, or trial ad kind of uh, course. And uh, I, I also have done um, some talks about, you know, just some, some of the more, um, I guess, famous or infamous cases, you know, George Floyd, um, Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin, you know, all of those sorts of things. So um, I'm very excited and I'm glad that my voice is being added to the, you know, the ones for tonight. Awesome. Awesome. And we definitely drop your information in the chat so you guys can connect with Kelly and her legal Saturdays. Let's jump into it. You know, you know, I want to start with attorney Kevin Jones, you know, this key question. And, and just to let the audience know what to expect, we're going to go through some questions just to kind of get you guys um, familiar with the breadth of the audience, the panel here. And then what we're going to do is give you a chance to ask questions. 
this is interactive. So feel free to put things in the chat, ask questions in the chat. You know, they may, the speakers may see it. They may actually just choose to ask it, you know, live. But be thinking about your questions. Put them in the chat. And if you want to answer them at the end when we do Q&A, you can do that. But um, Attorney Kevin Jones, let's get started with this first question. What is justice and what does it mean to you? I think you got to pause. You may want to um, unmute. I'm talking, just talking away. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I'm glad you asked, Calvin, uh, because my I'm, I didn't say this earlier, but I'm running running for judge here in, in Durham, North Carolina. This is awesome. my campaign year. And my campaign message is in pursuit of greater justice. And I've been telling folks on the campaign trail that greater justice to me means never being satisfied with the status quo within our justice system. Um, we have to continue to push that envelope. And, and so when I think of justice, I think of this is a, a place we're trying to get to. It's on a continuum. You constantly have to keep re reaching for it, reaching for it, pushing for it. And I think um, with me, this idea of justice is, is simply, to put it, just simply as you can put it, is doing the right thing, treating people the right way. And that's where we get into, that's where the rubber hits the road because everybody has different perspectives of what's the right thing. And that's why we can never be satisfied with just the status quo. We need to continue to keep pushing. And that's what I've been trying to drive home within my campaign. Um, a lot of times we have judges on the bench who are just jaded and out of touch with what's going on around them. And so the people that end up coming before them end up being treated as just a number and just a, a name on a piece of paper. And that's where injustice happens because you fail to take into consideration all of the factors that's going on with someone in your life. And therefore you cannot do justice because you don't know what the right thing is because you haven't taken the time to really get to know what's going on within this person's life. And I see that so much in the criminal defense world in which I practice. And that's why it's so important for me to do my part, to push that envelope forward. Thank you, thank you, Kevin. Um, next up, we can get one or two on this. I know this one's a broad, it's kind of philosophical, but let's see, um, don't be forced on this panel, but if you feel that you wanna add something to it, uh, Anissa, Jackie, Kelly, anything you wanna add you know, on your perspective? Because each panelist will be speaking from their perspective of law or personal experiences. So Anissa Patton, what would you add to that? So justice in my particular field looks like um, family autonomy, right? It looks like family empowerment. Um, it looks like the eradication of child poverty. It looks like um, access to, to quality schools, regardless of your, your area code, your zip code, excuse me. It looks like all of these things, right? But, but more importantly, it looks like family empowerment, where parents or caregivers have access to resources. Um, they are empowered to care for their children. They don't require state involvement to remove their children or to add additional services for them to parent. So, you know, to me, justice is family autonomy, that family unification, um, you know, with services and support 
with the, from the community, not necessarily from the state, but from the community, um, and in empowerment so that that family can provide a nurturing, loving, thriving environment for children. Thank you. Thank you, Anissa. Jackie, anything up in New York? What's your perspective on what's happening on the topic of justice, justice, entertainment, and equity? Well, when I first, you know, thought about this question, and I, when I think about, you know, anything in terms of a topic, I always go to the definition, right? I always look for a definition to start from. In law school, that's what they teach you. Everything's about black letter law, you know, like what's the definition? So one of the definitions that I came across, I liked. And it said, justice in its broadest sense is the principle that people receive that which they deserve, right? So I really felt that that was a great general broad um, definition of justice. And then, you know, for me personally, and in entertainment, and I'll get to that specific, but just generally, justice is um, repairing, it's reparations, it's correction. Um, it's, you know, in law school, you know, they teach you when you're bringing a suit, when you're standing in court, um, you have to prove damages. So it's being made whole, right? Um, so that's how I see justice generally. And then in thinking about that, it made me think about, but even when you have justice done, are you really being made whole? And thinking about the Ahmad Arbery case. Now, justice was served in that case. And, you know, we all, you know, were feeling what we were feeling. There was definitely a change and a shift in the justice system with that outcome. But is, is, his, is, is it really a made whole situation? No, because his life is gone. So even though justice was served, his, his life could never come back. His mother could never, his parents could never be made whole. So that made me think, then justice needs to be not just an outcome. It needs to be something that we do preemptively. There need to be preemptive action plans that get us in a state of justice before we need to actually fight for justice. So in entertainment specifically, I'm able to do that in my representation. Like for example, in advertising, um, you know, <laughs> it's a very um, divided world just like a lot of things in this world. And so, you know, you have like your marketing, is, it's separated, general market versus multicultural. In the, in the last few years, now there's something called total market where the general market means white advertising. Multicultural, of mm -hmm. course, is people of color. Then they made total market, which means that the general market agencies were now able to stretch into the multicultural areas that the multicultural areas already had lower advertising dollars um, allocated towards them. So what I've always done is push for, you know, when these brands want the black artists or they want the black consumers attention, no problem. But what you're going to do is give us the same dollars for black artists or black advertising that you give on the general market side. And if you're coming in and your project is under total market, then there have to be initiatives that are community-based or somehow you've got to make sure that there's an equitable division of these advertising dollars. So again, in my, in my space, the way that I think about justice is we've got to do things and put things in place preemptively so that 
justice is a regular part of everything that we do, and it doesn't have to turn out to be some big fight after something wrong has been or a wrong has been committed. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Jackie. That just gave me a whole different perspective of this ecosystem of justice. Kelly, based on Missouri, based on what you're experiencing, I mean, you're going live, you're talking about all of the hot topics, you know, feel free to tell us, you know, what does justice mean to you in the context also of what you practice? Thank you. So um, I should kind of go back and point out that I, I was remiss when I didn't exactly state my practice area. So my uh, the bulk of my practice is family law, um, but I also do uh, some business litigation. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to mention about um, family law is kind of like what Kevin talked about, child custody, divorces, child support, also domestic violence, orders of protection, things like that are all encompassed within family law, also kind of known as domestic relations law. Um, so kind of going back to the question, uh, what is justice and what does it mean to me? Jackie, you actually stole <laughs> what I was gonna say because I'm the same way. Great I feel answer. Like in order to speak authoritatively <laughs> on a topic, um, you you have to define it. And so just as Jackie stated, you know, justice is the concept and the principle that people um, receive that which they deserve. And so, you know, taking that a step further, when you look at the concept of what what does deserving mean? So in my opinion, justice as a broad concept is good, but it's flawed in its execution um, because the interpretation of what deserving is, is based on a lot of different things. It's impacted by, um, you know, your religion, your ethnicity, your nationality, you know, there's your moral sort of compass. There's a lot of things that um, kind of inform what deserving means to, you know, to different people. And so my question is, you know, if we are, basing the concept of who deserves what based on our own kind of moral um, correctness, then the question becomes, who decides what is just? Who decides what this you know, group of people or what this individual quote unquote deserves? And you know, that's kind of where I feel like justice is not blind, as people would like to say, um, simply because you know, and then I guess we'll go into this later, but when you look at the uh, the way our system of government is set up, the people who make the laws, the ones who are in charge of dispensing justice, um, you know, if you don't look like them, if you don't fit into that demographic, whether it be racial, socioeconomic, educational, whatever it is, because we don't all have that sort of equal access to the law and people get caught up in the justice system, you know, a lot of people end up suffering from injustice um, because the ones who are, I guess, meeting out the justice um, really don't, uh, you know, they're, they're, we're basing the, the entire system upon a small uh, percentage of people and what they feel is right. Um, so I guess in the, in, the, in the realm of family law, I see that a lot um, in terms of, um, I guess, with, especially with child custody cases, and, and really not even just racially, but primarily socioeconomically, if you have to represent yourself and you can't have access to an attorney who can speak on your behalf, you know, the stakes are really high. 
um, with with child custody. People are taking child, uh, terminating the parental rights, um, deciding which parent uh, the child is going to go with, um, the, you know, determining child um, so child support amounts. Um, and so these are all things that if you don't have um, the access to someone who knows the inner workings of the system, you know, a lot of times you can forfeit rights that you have because you didn't know you were entitled to those rights. And so, um, you know, just in terms of justice, I think that we need to really carefully look at how that concept is crafted and um, the, I guess, the opinions um, and the backgrounds of the people who are implementing the laws that are created and, and how that has a disparate impact on, on pretty much everyone. Thank you, Attorney Webb. Thank you for that. So, Attorney Jones, I want to go to you next, right? Kelly mentioned injustice. Give us some examples of where you see injustice in your practice. Um, you're muted again. In the world of uh, criminal law, criminal defense work, um, I'm sure everybody's seen all well, the highlights on the news and things that happen, uh, the injustice that's just right in your face. But for someone that's, when I'm in my practice on a day-to-day -day basis, I see things that are a little more subtle. Um, for example, when you have a judge on the bench, well, in order to, for our system to work the way it's supposed to and not be flawed in its execution, like my co-panelist just said, everyone has to do their part. That means prosecutors need to be prosecutors, defense attorneys need to be defense attorneys, and judges sitting on the bench, they need to stay in their lane and operate in their role. Injustice happens on a daily basis in the courthouses where you have a judge who leans more towards the prosecution side. So you have a judge who's on the, on the bench in a black robe who's trying to call the balls and strikes and call it down the middle but they have a more of a prosecutorial mindset. And so there, you basically have two prosecutors um, going against a defendant in the courtroom. And so that's where injustice happens because the, the deck is stacked against um, the defendant who appears in front of the court, appears in front of the court. Um, our constitution says we're innocent until proven guilty. And as attorneys, we're that's part of our oath that we're supposed to be upholding the constitution but in the courtroom in its execution sometimes like i said earlier when you have someone who has a, a who's, who's been on the bench for a long time they have a jaded mindset as far as they see people come in front of them oh you you are i know you did it i know you did it that mindset and then people's rights are lost and so that's one area within the criminal defense world where i see injustice occurring the other area is in bail reform. Like I said earlier, we're, we're innocent until proven guilty. But a lot of times when folks get arrested, they're put in jail and they're, you have to pay money. For those of you who don't know, um, a lot of you have to post put money up, post a bond. You have to get a bondsman or put some money up, put some cash up and so you can get out of jail until your trial date. But you haven't been found guilty of anything, but you have to put this money up. now. That's fine for someone who has money to put up, house or property or some cash, some money, somebody can loan them some money. But if you are living a minimum, working a minimum wage job and you, you don't have the funds, 
guess what happens? You end up sitting in jail for longer than you should. And then sometimes, in even the most tragic cases, people end up pleading guilty to things that they may not have done, but they have to get out of jail. And if a prosecutor comes to you and say, hey, I'll give you time served so you can get out. And they're thinking, I have to get back to my job. I have to get back to my children. I have to get back to my life. I'm just going to go ahead and plead guilty. And then you end up doing that. And then it's a mark on your record. And then that carries forward and forward. So the issue of bail reform is, is one of those things that's a hot topic right now within the criminal justice system where you know, we need to address that because that's a big area of injustice because people should have the right to be innocent until proven guilty, as our Constitution says, and you shouldn't have to put up money um, when, you, when you're innocent until proven guilty. Awesome, awesome. Now, we don't have to get a response from everyone on this, so who has a response they definitely want to um, speak on where they see injustice? I would like to okay. if I could Attorney jump in there. <laughs> Try to get ahead of everybody. No. But um, so when we're talking about family law, one of the things that Kevin just mentioned is, I mean, it's huge. I couldn't have said it any better than, you know, better myself. You have this group of people making decisions about things that they don't have experience in themselves. So, for example, I practice family law. Right. So you're going for a judge on, let's say, for instance, a child support issue, trying to get child support modified because you're a father who's paying eight hundred and eighty dollars a month in child support, even though you are contributing in other ways to the children's lives. Say you're paying for you know, educational expenses or daycare or whatever. But on top of that, you're you know, charged with paying child support. Well, you're sitting in front of a judge who likely has a two parent home who came from a two-parent home, who has children who um, benefit from two incomes, um, who have children who are afforded a lot of privileges and opportunities that maybe these people who are appearing before them don't have. And so to me, it's difficult for someone to sit in that position of judgment when they have no idea what it's like to have three kids and have a minimum wage job. And you know, you've got someone who's not helping you know, to support you. Um, so, you know, that's definitely a problematic issue. And then also on that same uh, vein, as a family law practitioner, I see really where gender lines, um, you know, are split and where injustice is uh, prevalent, right? So with, I'll take, you know, each one, for example, men, men who are, uh, I'll say this, the, the system definitely favors the mother when it comes to child custody. So we kind of family law practitioners, we say, like, if we've ever seen a woman whose kids have been taken away from her, man, something went really left for a court to take custody away from a woman. Um, but in that same sense, men are disadvantaged because even if they are the better custodial parent, the court simply just has this um, automatic um, leaning towards women. And so, in my opinion, men are very disadvantaged in that way. And at the same token, women are disadvantaged, in my uh, opinion, and the things that I've seen with my cases, in terms of child support, because there's this community kind of um, bias against women who have multiple children with multiple men. 
um, they're already kind of looked down upon. And so then when they want to pursue their rights of child support and try to get money to help raise their children, because the burden of child rearing is usually on the custodial parent. And like I said, in more cases than not, it's the mother. A lot of times, some of my clients, they give up because they feel like, well, I don't want to kind of put my business out there in front of the court. I had a, a case where a woman had three children, three different fathers, and they were trying to terminate her parental rights. And so when she's in front of this judge, they already have this concept of what kind of woman are you that you've got three kids with three different men? Maybe you are not a suitable parent. Maybe we should terminate your parental rights. And again, those are sort of the biases that people, you know, come come into court automatically, you know, at a disadvantage. So specifically in my area of family law, those are areas in which I see injustice time and time again. Thank you. Thank you, Attorney Webb. I love that statement. Biases can lead to injustice. Let's move to the next topic, because this is the topic I know the audience is really thinking about. Current events, right? OMG, there is so much going on in society. I would love to hear from everybody on this one, because it's, it's just such a deep topic. And the topic is, what current events in law, justice, injustice, concern you and you feel that we as the audience should be concerned with? Uh, Attorney Lepardo. Well, I just think for me generally, a lot of it is um, back to what I said before, um, just dealing with and seeing um, entertainers, whether it's our musical, film, TV, sports, you know, athletes, um, seeing us um, on equal levels or giving, getting what they should be getting in terms of the services that they give um, on the same level that the white counterparts, um, that their white counterparts are getting. So um, in terms of current events, um, I, I have to admit that I didn't follow the whole story, but I do know that I saw an article that said Pepsi will no longer uh, sponsor the uh, Super Bowl halftime show. And this was the year that the halftime show was the first ever hip hop halftime show. Now, I didn't get a chance to go through the article, but immediately that brought me back to when Janet Jackson had that wardrobe faux pas or planned whatever it was with Justin Timberlake. And, you know, Justin Timberlake never suffered um, the ramifications of that incident. Um, he didn't have to apologize. His career flourished. Janet Jackson um, was, uh, you know, caught up in all of the controversy of it. And, you know, it affected her, um, all of her entertainment endeavors ever since. And to me, that is just a prime example of the injustices and the inequities that happen in the entertainment sphere. Um, and even if you think about, um, oh, his name is uh, escaping me, but the NFL, like currently with the NFL and the high, the coach, uh, the, 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 the lack of diversity in the coaches and their hiring practices. Um, I don't remember the uh, coach's name, but of course, the issue is, is that uh, this black coach went out 
for uh, head coach. He didn't get it. The NFL is saying that, oh, they, you know, they're, they want to diversify. But what methods are really putting in place? This goes back to what I was saying about the preemptiveness, the preemptiveness and the strategies and the action plans that must be placed. And, you know, you know, you sit with the leaders of the communities, you sit with the, 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 the you know, like the executives um, who represent us, people of color, and what we've been suffering in, and you put plans in place so that we don't even have to get to these kinds of stories and that these kinds of things don't continue to exist. So those are some of the current things um, in entertainment where justice definitely needs to be ramped up. Awesome, awesome. Attorney Patton. Um, I think my biggest concern uh, about the current events like the, um, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial um, the sentencing of the police officer that killed Duante Wright. My problem is that these types of things confirm in many people's minds that there are two set there's two sets of um, justice or justice systems. You know, there's justice system for people who look like me, and then there's a system for people who are non-black people, right, or, or white people. Um, and I think that that the Kyle Rittenhouse trial kind of confirmed that it solidified that in a lot of people's minds because we got a chance to see a lot of that ourselves like in real time um, as the trial progressed and we saw how the judge reacted many times um i which i i you know i try not to speak poorly about the judiciary but i mean i was really concerned about some of the things that he did um you know again we have to remember that that america is watching and, you know, people who look like me already assume that there's this two sets of justice. You know, there's justice for people like me. You know, we're not going to get the we're going to get the short end of the stick. And then there's justice for white people. And, and you know, with the with the recent sentencing of the police officer who killed Deontay Wright. I mean, that was like a slap on the hand for a murder. You know, even though it may be manslaughter, it was a murder, you know, a slap on the hand. Um, it makes it, it, to me, it reduces people's faith in the justice system, period. You know, it, it really diminishes. Um, and, you know, I, I'm an attorney, but I have my own personal opinion about it as well as a black woman in America. And it, it, it gives me pause sometimes because I love what I do. I believe in what I do, but I know in my heart, it feels like there are two justice systems in America. You know, it, it does feel like there's a bias that favors white defendants. There's a bias that favors um, white petitioners, you know, that there's a bias that, that favors police officers, you know, and I, I think that, that that is the most disheartening and concerning thing that plagues the current justice system in real time. Thank you for sharing that. Attorney Webb, Attorney Jones, if you can, I definitely want to hear from each of you on this one, is that what are some topics that you feel, current events that we should be concerned about and why they're personally important to you? Attorney Webb. Thank you. <laughs> um, so both of the panelists have, have touched on um, a lot of things, especially with um, the, I guess, the sensationalism of these trials, George Floyd and um, Ahmaud Arbery. And I think before I even go into that, one thing that I really wanna say is that these are people, okay? 
these are people who were murdered. These are families who lost a loved one. And while we um, are riveted and the news likes to talk, you know, and, and give a blow by blow, play by play of the trial, these are real people's lives at stake and real consequences that um, are, are, are suffered based upon injustice. And, um, you know, one of the things that I always am concerned about is the jury system. Um, you know, a lot of times I feel like juries take um, ownership of things that they are not tasked to do. Juries are supposed to make their decisions based upon the evidence that is presented to them. But there's this concept of, well, what happened before the crime? What happened that we don't see? What other evidence that you haven't told us are we, you know, not allowed to know? Or what? Because you, and you saw that with George Floyd, right? I mean, nine minutes, this man kneeled on his neck and murdered him. But then you had some jurors who said, I want to know what happened before the tape started. In what way is it relevant to the charges? The charges were that this person did X, Y, and Z. The judge tasks the jury with specific instructions that if these facts meet this scenario, this is what the law says, and this is how you must find. But juries take into consideration all sorts of ancillary factors that have nothing to do with the charges at hand and what the defendant is uh, being charged with. And I think we saw, see this time and time again, where the victim is the one who's placed on trial. What did Ahmaud Arbery do? Why was he someplace where he should not have been? Well, what about Trayvon Martin? Why was he so uh, walking around a neighborhood that he didn't live in? It was dark. George Zimmerman was afraid. He was protecting his property. You know, these are all the narratives that are put out there in spite of the fact that these people are victims. Now, whether or not you think that the, um, the burden of proof has been met and that the person did it with intent or did it recklessly or negligently or with, you know, regard for human life, whatever it is, that standard that the, uh, the court is asking for you to find, regardless of whether or not you feel like that happened, somebody died and somebody died at the hand of another person. And so it is not the job of the deceased to prove that whatever it was that they were doing, uh, you know, did not warrant them being killed. And so I think that that is something that is going on today, especially with the cell phone. You know, people are recording footage, interactions, arguments. I mean, it's just it's just kind of really spiraled out of control, in my opinion. And that's something that we really need to be concerned about. Thank you. Thank you, Attorney Webb. Attorney Jones, if you don't mind showing us your perspective. And what we're going to do next, audience, is that we're going to jump to the end. We got one more question after Attorney Jones go. But get your questions ready. I see in the few questions popping up in the chat. That is good. Hold those tight. You can vocalize them. You can type them. But we're going to get to your question shortly. Um, Attorney Jones, if you don't mind just sharing with us your perspective of current events and the things that concern you. Yeah, I, I'll just piggyback on a couple of what uh, Attorney Patton and Attorney Webb spoke about. Um, but for me, it's, it, it revolves around judicial decorum and how this fancy way of saying, like, what are these judges doing in these courtrooms? Hmm. You know, it's no reason why uh, the judge in the Kyle Rittenhouse case should have been saying the things he was saying and doing the things that he was doing. And that's a problem. That's, that's when I watched it, it, it got so bad that I couldn't even really watch it. I had to turn it off because I was getting like angry and I was like, let me just cut it off. Because we as practitioners know he was out of line. He's out of line. He's 
he has his finger on the scale. He's tipping the scale one way or the other. He's not calling the balls or strikes like he should. He's leaning one way to the other. And that's a big problem. If we can't count on the judge, who's supposed to be not biased, to do his part, then like Attorney Patton said earlier, you know, we really have a different system going on here. And so that is the thing that really concerns me. There are a lot of other things, and I think my pa the panelists hit on those things, but something that we as a society need to keep an eye on is what are the what is the people, what are the people who are wearing the black robes? Who's watching them? And it should be the citizens at the voters. We should be watching the ones who are wearing the black robe. Thank you, Attorney Jones. Um, I think Calvin Jackie, real quick, let's go ahead. Can I just say something really quick yes. to what Kevin just said about the black robes? And this is what I was talking about about the preemptiveness that we can um, enact. So I serve on the Democratic Party of Richmond County Judicial Screening Committee. I'm one of the only black women on the committee. And what that means is, is that when we have candidates who are running for these judgeships and they want to run under the Democratic ticket, there's a screening committee. There's a screening process that they have to go to, through for the Democratic Party to say, OK, we choose you to represent our party. We need more people of color. We need more representation from our communities and from people like us to be in these spaces so that we determine who these judges are in those particular, you know, um, situations where they're elected. You know, when they're appointed, we still should have a voice and get into those appointment, you know, systems. But we must be behind the scenes and our activism has to extend into those spaces so that we can get the proper judges in and serving so that we don't have to wonder what is happening in the courtroom from the judge level. Just wanted to jump in and say that. Thank you. I, I love it. I love it, um, Jackie. Uh, i tell you why, because... Um, that's essentially the, the, the final question before we go to the audience is the additional panelists. What do you feel we as a community should be doing? You know, we, 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 we've got your background. We understand where you're coming from. We understand that there's a theme in everything you do of injustice. And then we've solidified the problems. We all agree that the problems are rampant. They're right there in our face. Um, starting with Attorney Patton, if you don't mind sharing with us, and everybody doesn't have to respond to this because we want to get to the questions of the audience, but I'm curious as any other suggestions. I love what Jackie suggests based on um, activism and involvement. Anyone else from the um, panel can share what we as a community can be doing. Well, I think that we also need to have more representation on the bench. And that, that includes not just screening judges, but doing what Kevin is doing. That means running for those positions. Um, you know, I currently live in a county where we've never had a black person on the Superior Court bench. And this is 2022. We've never had one. You know, we've, we've not had a black juvenile court judge here. You know, I moved from a district where we had our very first black and woman Superior Court judge appointed by the governor um, this year. So, you know, we, we've got to We've got to take those steps. To, you know, not just complain about it and not just scream, but we've got to put ourselves in those positions. You know, we got to weed out bias in the judiciary. And one easy way to do that is for us to represent and, and take those positions, do like Kevin is doing, and run or fight for that appointment. Representation, man. Go um, ahead, Attorney Webb. Thank you. Um, 
yeah, couldn't couldn't agree with what everyone is saying. Um, couldn't agree more. Um, so a couple points really quick. Yes, just want to reiterate, voting is something that is key. And I've talked about this before in a lot of my legal Saturdays. People, especially people of color, unfortunately, who don't understand exactly how the, the system of government works in the United States, feel like the president is the ultimate arbiter and decision maker of everything. But what they fail to realize is there's Congress, right? There's the Senate and there's the House of Representatives. So we are electing these people. We are putting them in charge. And the, the legislators that we elect are supposed to make laws that reflect the will of the people who put them in that office. So if we are not out there voting, and I'm talking about local elections, vote for your mayor. Know who your mayor is. Know who your, um, here in St. Louis, we have different, you know, aldermen that are in charge of different wards and state reps. Know these people. Vote for these people. And another quick point, um, I know in St. Louis, every year when the, uh, when the when it's election year, the judges are up for uh, retention on the ballot. And I can't tell you how many times people are like, well, Kelly, who's a good judge? Because I don't, they literally don't even know who the judges in St. Louis County are, who the judges in St. Louis City are. And they literally will just look at a name and just kind of, okay, check, yes, retain, yes. And these, their, their stats are public record. You can look up and see what sort of decisions these judges are making, how, you know, what kind of um, verdicts that they're, they're rendering. You can find this information out and make the decision for yourself. So be informed. That's something that's very key. And the last quick thing that I want to say that is really burdening my soul is jury duty. We cannot escape jury duty. It is vitally important for people of color to be impaneled on these juries because juries are what? They're supposed to represent our peers. And if you consistently have people of color who are on trial for their lives, who are being judged by a people that do not look like them, do not come from where they come from, do not understand their experience. This is how we have the overwhelming sentencing, the harshness, the, the overpopulations in the prisons of people who look like me because people who look like me don't want to take time off of work and are annoyed and don't want to go to uh, jury duty. They complain about it. But uh, on that same token, we need to do better as a country of compensating those who serve on juries. Because when you look at it socioeconomically, if you have a minimum wage job or you are paid hourly and your employer is not giving you time off of work to serve on jury duty, you're trying to get out of it. Because $12 a day is not going to compensate you adequately for you missing that work. So, you know, we need to do better about that just entirely. Awesome. Awesome. As y'all see, Attorney Webb has some fire shut up in her bones we appreciate that let's go to the audience let's see what questions katie um tamika do we have from the audience i've seen a few popping up katie um what questions do we have tamika there there was a question really about how are people who have limited financial means you know what are the ways in which our justice system really is biased against them you um i believe it was uh, I believe it was Attorney Jones that mentioned something about, you know, bail and things like that. But what else happens that really is biased against people that do not have money? I can talk a little bit about that from a criminal criminal defense side. Um, I worked in the public defender's office in Durham and I had a team. We were excellent. Like we were, we fought hard. Or we had a boss at the time where basically like, you go down there and flip over a table if you have to. And if they say something to you, you tell them to come talk to me. 
And so we felt like we had the cover to go down there and just wreak havoc and fighting for our clients. And so I wore, I had a big chip on my shoulder because I felt like a lot of my clients felt like since they weren't paying for my services, they felt like they were getting, you know, a raw deal. And so I felt like I needed to go over and above to make sure I was fighting for my clients. But <clears throat> that's not the case in every public defender's office. And that's not the case in every, for every court-appointed lawyer. So there's a public defender's office, and then there's a court-appointed lawyer list. Those are attorneys who have their own practice, but they decide to be on the court-appointed list so they can make a little extra money on the side, and they get court-appointed cases. Um, and so depending upon the public defender office or depending upon the court that, that court-appointed lawyer, sometimes uh, you might not, because if you don't have the funds, you kind of have to rely on luck of the draw. Like you get somebody that's going to fight for you or you're going to get somebody that's like, oh, they just trying to close your case and move on. And I'm not I'm not saying that to not court appointed lawyers or to not public defenders, because I was one and I still consider myself to be one at, at heart. But for those folks who don't have the financial resources, like I said, you're kind of left up to the luck of the draw and by the grace of God who you get. Um, and so that is one area that that we need to try to address more training for public defenders, more, more, more funds for court appointed lawyers, because across the country, court appoint, court appointed money is being cut. And so now you have attorneys who are, you know, do I, do I work hard on this? Do I spend 50 hours on this court appointed case where I'm only going to get paid, you know, $50 an hour, or do I, hurry up and finish this case so I can get to my personal injury case where that might be, you know, several thousands of dollars. So that's that's the kind of position that attorneys get in sometimes. Um, and I think it definitely serves as some injustice for those individuals who don't have the money to hire their own lawyer and pick who they want to represent them. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, there's another question, and I'm going to flip it a little bit because I don't want any of you to be put in the position of having to really endorse a Supreme Court nominee potentially, but I'm curious as to what kind of qualities that you would advise us or that you, you look for yourselves in terms of a Supreme Court nominee. Um, what are the qualities that you think are, are missing right now on the Supreme Court, and what is it that we should be looking for? <laughs> Look, I'm on mute, but I was just saying that's a, loaded, that's a loaded question. Right and the there. pastors are quiet. Well, well, it's better that I mean, it was sort of like who would you who would you appoint, right? So I, I think I tried to tone it down a little bit. But what what kind of qualities? I'm just curious. Well, I'll say I think that for me, I would look for someone who has some service in their background, some service to the community in their background. You know, someone who um, hasn't been in corporate corporate law for, the, for their whole career. Somebody has spent some time in the trenches, so to speak. Someone who has some trial experience, someone who's had some experience working within the community. Those things would be ideal for me. I'd like to see somebody, I wanna see somebody diverse. I would love to see a black woman um, as has been promised to us. But I really think I'd like to see somebody who has a lot of appellate experience, has experience um, 
being um, arguing before the U.S. Supreme Court or some Supreme Court um, across the nation. Um, I don't like to see appointees who may have contributed a great amount of money to somebody's campaign, you know, and, and they may have like three or four years of this experience or five to 10 years of legal experience, but no real trial experience. So um, like, like Kevin said, I want to see somebody with a lot of trial experience. I want to see somebody who has argued cases before the Supreme Court who understands and appreciates the Constitution. You know, I need to have somebody with some intelligence, but I'd also love to see somebody with some, somebody who looked like me, you know, somebody with some brown skin and, you know, who, who identified as a woman. And I, I will just jump in real quick and say that uh, for me, it's more of an ideological diversity that I'm looking for um, because right now the Supreme Court as it stands, I'll just say, they seem to share the same ideology about, you know, hot button issues and topics. There's not a lot of diversity in terms of experience, background, like Kevin was just saying, and like Anissa was just saying, you know, some people just had, you know, the, the trajectory of law school, the law firm to, you know, judge and now Supreme Court. And it's like, well, what other things have you done? What kind of experience can you, um, diversity wise, can you bring to the bench? And, Let's not all be fooled by color because we have seen some folks who look like us who didn't help us. I'll just shots fired. Shots fired. Thank mm. you. Yes. <laughs> I'll just jump in real quick and just Hot. say I agree with everything said, and especially to Kelly's last point. I definitely feel like it should be a black woman, but it should be a black woman who is of us, like someone with fire up in her bones, like Kelly has. Um, who's not afraid to speak, who's not afraid to take those positions and, and really just do the common sense and the knowledge to the issues. Awesome, awesome. Okay. What other questions we got? Okay. got? There's a great one. And and I think there's something that can be said from every single field that's represented here. Um, this is from Dr. Lewis Logan. How can we administer our collective economic leverage to effectuate our own justice in specific communities where legal injustices occur. Excellent. I, I mean, just, uh, just listening to us talk tonight and um, especially on the litigation side, I have a little bit of litigation experience. It's not my heavy thing, um, but thinking about the juries um, and some of the issues with us serving you know, not having enough money, um, you know, to take off work to actually do the service that we're required to do. It made me think about, and I was, I wrote it down um, <laughs> to say like, hey, we need to put some, we need to have some grants that can subsidize, like maybe there's grant funding or some kind of funding that would subsidize, you know, for us people of color in particular, or, you know, low income people who need to go and serve. Um, so we provide subsidies, you know, so, or like Kevin, like what you were saying, some of the, um, you know, the court appointed attorneys, uh, public defenders, you know, when they have the opportunity to make the thousands, but you know, the, the real work that really pulls at them and, and, you know, really needs to be done is not given the attention on the economic level. There should be subsidies there. So maybe on the collective side in the collective economics of it, that's where we can kind of pool in together as a community to create opportunities for subsidizing so that we don't have to be suffering on these different levels, you know, within the system. 
Awesome, awesome. Katie, we're going to grab one more question, but before I do, I want to just kind of pause and let you guys know, thank you for being here at Southern Soul this week. Thank you, Kevin Jones, for working with me to pull together this awesome panel. Thank you, Kelly Webb, for being who you are. As I watch your videos and I see your excitement and I see your passion, it makes me proud. Thank you, Jackie, for being you. Girl, you always keep it going, right? And right. it's it's the honor to know that there are people out there like you, like Attorney Patton, who are keeping watch on what's going on. As they say, representation matters. You know what that means? We got to keep an eye on things. That's right. And we have a group here tonight that I sleep better at night because I know y'all are keeping an eye on things. For the audience, thank you for giving us a shout out. If it's your first time at Southern Soul, come on back, right? Yeah. Next week, we have an awesome topic, ADHD, and how it is affecting our boys. As you may have heard, African-American boys are most likely to be misdiagnosed and most likely to be positioned in a place for medication and things of other sorts. But how does it affect their emotional well-being, their confidence? We have a triple board certified speaker next week that's going to break it down for us. But before we get to next week, Katie, what other question do you have from the audience? One more before we say goodbye to this awesome panel. And I don't even want to say y'all, I don't want to say goodbye, man. I feel like, wait a minute, y'all got to stay, y'all family now. <laughs> have, us, have us back have us back awesome katie what you got yeah one last question you know someone asked earlier and i mentioned this this to calvin a couple of days ago also but you know each of you are in different fields and we're curious as to is there any kind of advice that you would give to somebody that is going into the field that you're in or anything that you would like sort of a do-over on in terms of how you worked it out in your own career a lot of people are interested in law and I feel like we've got a lot of um, some collective wisdom here. So any words of wisdom to us? Can, I'd like to jump in on that real quick. I, just thinking back, what I would do, especially coming from communities of color, um, because when you get into law school, what happens is you're in there and you realize there are a lot of people in there who have attorneys at their tables or they've grown up in an arena where they're speaking the language. The law is a language. And the differences between you getting A pluses and being in the top one and 5% of your classes versus struggling to fit into some place where you can get a job offer from a firm is do you, how well do you know the language before you get there or how well can you command the language while you're there? So my thing would be is to, if that's what you wanna do, get a mentor as soon as possible, or seek out some kind of um, professional groups that, you know, will take on younger people. Like if you're an undergrad, start to go to the law schools at your school, figure out what kind of programmings that they have where there's like a, a bridging the gap so that you could start to get acclimated to the language, to the nomenclature. Because if you can do that, to me, that would be a huge service to yourself in terms of getting the calmness that you need and getting the familiarity to even just be in the classroom and really being able to participate, 
assess and and part you know like really put your thoughts out there because you would have at least had the foundation of a, a real big piece of the basic foundation you need to succeed and then everything else from there you know you would grow from there so that's what my piece of advice would be thank you thank you if you got time if i can speak on speak on that question go ahead well, Kevin. yes yeah i was going to say too just to piggyback off what jackie said um if, for those who are going into criminal law, if you're thinking about going into criminal law, criminal law, go to the courthouse. Go to the courthouse and sit in the courtroom. And that goes back to watching the judges. Like, that's for everybody. Everybody should go to the courthouse and sit and sit through some of these trials. And it's a public. It's a public forum. You can go in there and sit and watch. Um, but for those of you who are interested in going into criminal, criminal work, it's good to be in that space, to be immersed in it, to hear what's going on, to see what's going on. I taught um, at the law school as an adjunct professor, and one of the things we would do is we take field trips to the courthouse and just have just sit in there, because being in that environment will give you that confidence, and you can kind of pick up on like what Jackie said, some of the terminology and things they're saying. But even it's just the style of of how lawyers handle themselves in the courtroom. Um, whether you stand, whether you sit down, for a small example, I would always stand at the calendar call. Everybody else is sitting down. I'm standing up because I want to observe the courtroom. I want to observe the judge. I want to observe everyone. Things like that's something that I picked up from another seasoned lawyer because he always stood and he commanded a certain level of attention and control over the client and the courtroom just by standing up while everybody else is sitting down. That's something that you can pick up just kind of being in that environment. Great, thank you. Awesome, awesome. Any more responses? Is there? A... Yeah. No, go ahead. Um, turn it up. Go ahead. Like yes, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so my advice would be just a couple key points. One, remember that litigation is not the end all be all. Okay. So even though litigation is my passion, that is what I was born to do, and I love every minute of it. I think that one of the biggest mistakes law schools make is they have this sort of track where they try to push law students into this big firm. And then we, as attorneys, we kind of know the concept of the golden handcuffs, right? So you get this really high paying job right out of law school, but they don't let you do anything. I mean, there's first and second year associates who don't even know how to file things. They don't know where the courthouse is. They don't know where to go. And they end up in these really, you know, really high paying jobs, but they don't have anything to show for it really. And so what I want people to know who are considering careers in the law, know that trial work is not the only thing you can do. There's a lot of different ways that you can have an impact um, on your community and on this country as a, you know, as, a, as an attorney that's not necessarily a trial attorney. And then also, um, family law specifically, I would just like to say, listen, folks, family law is dramatic. <laughs> it, it, very, it is very. drama. And, you know, when they say attorney and counselor in law, that is the part where your counseling really comes in. You have to be sympathetic. To people. These are real, and this goes for every area of the law. You know, these are real people's lives. But family law in particular, we're talking about children. We're talking about dissolving a marriage, you know, 30, 40 year marriages that are, you know, falling apart and people are trying to literally rebuild their lives financially, emotionally. So if you're not patient and you're not a sympathetic person and you're not passionate, family law is really not for you. I just want to put that out there. And then lastly, I just would like to uh, kind of piggyback on everything people have said, the passion. Don't let, you know, these barriers or, or anything, you know, um, 
dissuade you from doing what you're passionate about doing. If you really want a career in law, do whatever my co-panelists have said. Observe trials. Go get a mentor. Get a mentor. You know, do those things and be proactive and just pursue what it is that you want. You can do it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, people, it has been an awesome night tonight. Look forward to seeing you guys soon. I'm going to hang out and do what I do. Play some of my daddy's favorite records. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for discussion with the audience.